today here on the west coast of Florida. My name is Joel Tillis, and you have tuned into the Soul Trap. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to tune in and listen, and to be a part of this strange and wonderful journey with us. We trust that wherever, whenever this broadcast finds you, it finds you in good health, good spirits, and most of all, on that good and narrow way. I was uh, talking with my kids the other day. I call them kids. I've got a 15-year-old and a, uh, well, almost a 15-year-old and almost a 17-year-old. Makes them 14 and 16. We were talking about how good they have it being able to watch, binge watch their shows on Netflix. We used to have to wait for a week and uh, come back and watch it and hope that there was nothing else going on that would distract you. We have come to love Netflix and Amazon probably more than we do cable anything else. In fact, some of our favorite shows, we'll let them go through their season just so that we can binge watch them together as a family. One of the shows that our family has fallen in love with is Stranger Things. It's a great show. If you haven't watched it, I think if you're a Soul Trap listener, uh, you, you probably should at least try to watch it. We love it. We enjoy it. Not only is it the the theme of the show, but... The setting of the show brings back a lot of memories from my wife and I being in the 80s and uh, all the good times that go along with that. Uh, the show was worth it to me just for the soundtrack alone. But it has been a really interesting thing to watch uh, and to spend time watching that show and all that goes along with it. The other day I was reading an article and, and it reminded me of something that I thought was very interesting. And the question was, and it was in reference to Stranger Things, the question was, does art follow reality or reality follow art? In other words, what influences what? There's a whole genre of philosophy and thought that goes along that way. Uh, some have argued that it is art and that it is media, that, that it is the imagination that fuels reality. Others have argued that it is reality that is reflected in the media, in the movies. That's a very interesting question when it comes to things uh, like this. I remember my wife and I talking about this when we used to watch The X-Files. How much is The X-Files is simply the imaginations of great writers piecing together a few conspiracy theories here and there? And How much is it actually connected in some way with reality? I've thought about that before when it comes to things like uh, The Matrix, in the first Matrix, Neo's driver's license expires on 9-11. How much is reality connected with art and art with reality? How much of it is disconnected? It is really interesting when it comes to the show Stranger Things because you have Stranger Things connecting us to one of the stranger conspiracy theories that are out there, if it is indeed a conspiracy theory. It's a great little article written by Ryan Roshke, uh, uh, Roshke, November 22nd, 2017, called Insane Conspiracy Theory That Inspired Stranger Things. My question to you as we go over his, conspiracy, or his article is, is it, is it a conspiracy theory? Or is there at least some type of fire causing the smoke? Ryan writes the following, quote, with two seasons under its belt, Stranger Things is bigger than ever. It's not just that the series delivers heavy doses of nostalgia and horror in one fell swoop. 
The real magic of Stranger Things is that it builds a conspiracy-filled universe that's so intricate, it almost feels real. Well, here's the thing. It actually is inspired by real-life events. Ryan Wright said it is inspired by a real-life conspiracy theory that's so wild and detailed, you'll almost want to believe it. We're not talking about Project MKUltra, though the Duffer brothers, those who created Stranger Things, have admitted that they have incorporated aspects of that conspiracy theory into the show. This story is much darker, deeper, more sinister, Ryan writes. We're talking about the Montauk Project. And for those of you that listen to the Soul Trap, you should have your ears and your spidey senses perk up when you hear of the Montauk Project. Ryan goes on to write, One little-known secret about Stranger Things is that it was originally titled Montauk, and it was supposed to take place in New York. For the geographically uninformed, Montauk is at the very end of Long Island, and at the very tip of Montauk is Camp Hero State Park. This is where the unbelievable story of the Montauk Project takes place. According to the theory and investigation, Camp Hero allegedly housed an underground government facility that conducted a wide range of questionable, paranormal, almost occult-like scientific experiments. While the Duffer Duffer brothers didn't lift the entire story of the Montauk experiment for their sci-fi series, there are a handful of aspects of the show that seem to draw from that direct inspiration. The theme is the possibility to attempt to open portals to the other dimension. Something that we have covered here at the, at the Soul Trap when we've talked about CERN, sex magic, others of these attempts to open up a doorway, Babylon working, the list goes on and on. The Montauk Project has to be put into the context of the Philadelphia Experiment, Ryan writes. According to the stories, the Navy was conducting experiments in 1943. The goal was to render a military vessel invisible so that enemies could not detect it by radar or by other means. These experiments yielded an unexpected result, however. Not only did they purportedly figure out how to make the ships invisible, but they accidentally sent one ship, the Eldridge, through a portal to another dimension at another time. This government legend was so well known that it was adapted into a 1984 film called The Philadelphia Experiment. The trailer for the film itself rehashes the story we've just gone over. The government experiences, the invisibility, even the time travel. Now here's where things begin to connect. There was a man to the name of Alfred Bielek who saw the film and experienced the strangest sense of deja vu. In a 1997 interview with a reporter named Kenneth Burke, Bielek said the film, quote, re-stimulated memories which were closed to the surface, which were close to the surface. In 1990, Bielek made the connection between the Philadelphia Experiment and the Montauk Project during a speech at at a conference in Dallas. Bielek says he and his brother were both on the ship during the experiment. He said they were teleported from 1943 forward to 1983, and they landed at Montauk. According to Bielek, they were intercepted by a man named Dr. Von Neumann, who they had also worked with in 1943. Dr. Von Neumann told Bielek that they had inadvertently created a hole in hyperspace. Bielek recounted the doctor's explanation, quote, This hyperspace bubble is expanding. 
It's going to create some very serious problems. We don't know how far it will go if it's not shut down. It could engulf part of the planet, the doctor recounted. Basically, Bielik and his brother had to destroy all the equipment on the ship to fix this hole in hyperspace. Now, Stranger Things has clear echoes of this story. In fact, the experiments with one of its main characters, Eleven, are the initial causes for the gate that connects the upside-down dimensional to our reality. Eleven has essentially torn a fabric in reality. Now, according to Bielik and others, after the whole crazy 1943 to 1983 time warp incident, Bielik says his brother stayed in 1983. But because of the whole fiasco, his brother began to age rapidly, a year per hour as he describes it. The scientists were desperate to somehow keep him alive. So here was their plan. Back in the past, in the same timeline, Bielik convinced his parents to have another son. That's right. Quote, whether you will accept the metaphysical point of view or not, it was arranged. I was allowed to help arrange it because I was back in 1943 and there was some transit back and forth because Montauk, which was still online for a period of time, was our go point. To go back to the father and say, hey, we need another son. Something has happened to Duncan. So a new son, the last of the line, was born in 1951. And he, from 83, was a walk-in as a soul into the body in 1963. Does it sound confusing? It is confusing. Does it not make sense? It doesn't make sense. What they're basically saying is that scientists somehow transferred his brother's soul from the 1983 body of his new brother to the 1963 body of the new but old brother that's now new. And so it is absolutely disconnected and, quite frankly, silly in a lot of ways. But let me pause here to say this. Let me pause to say this, as convoluted and silly as it may sound, to say that a lot of this stuff is is just not possible via our known science and even more it flat out denies what scripture teaches is to be accurate. But the question that we're asking right now is what are we looking at? Are we looking at these stories like Stranger Things and the story of Montauk and Mr. Bielik as a story of absolute truth? Or are we looking at it for kernels of truth? Shadows of a greater truth that is at play? That's the real question. How did the scientists at Camp Hero exploit these powers of the new and improved man, the new and improved Duncan, the 1983 Duncan put back into the 1963 Duncan and then sent forward to 1983? Well, that's where it gets even stranger. They built, the claim was, something that they called the Montauk Chair. It is here that we come across a man by the name of Preston Nichols, who came into the picture of Bielik's story and began to circulate on a broad scale. Nichols would go on to pick up the story and write his own account of the Montauk Project. According to the text, the Montauk Chair was a chair that had been enhanced with technology and occult powers. In other words, they had figured out a way through the occult and through technology to manifest whatever its subject was imagining. Basically, the chair would purportedly read the seated person's mind and make their thoughts a reality. In the chair, Duncan did an experiment called the seeing eye. Again, there's a lot of nonsense here, a lot of nonsense, maybe 99.9% nonsense, but that 0.1%, is there something deeper? Is it so strange to believe 
that our military may be involved in the occult practices. All militaries of all past have sought for an advantage. We know that Nebuchadnezzar, we know that Persians, we know the Chinese, we know that the Romans, they looked to the occult. Even David looked to God, not to be compared with the occult, but looked to the wind blowing in the mulberry trees to get an advantage of his enemies. Is it so hard to believe that certain dark, shadowy areas of our government, of our military, would look to the realm of the immaterial to find prowess and power over the material. Nichols goes on to write, quote, with a lock of a person's hair or other appropriate object in hand, Duncan could concentrate on the person and be able to see as if he was seeing through their eyes, hearing through their ears, and feeling through their body. Kind of almost reminds you of the old movie Being John Malkovich. He can actually see through other people anywhere on the planet. Now this sounds eerily like the experiments conducted with Eleven in the Hawkins lab, Ryan writes. If you recall season one, Eleven attempting to hear words spoken in other rooms. Ryan goes on to write that Duncan allegedly demonstrated other abilities that sound a lot like Eleven's. Some of Duncan's powers, though, were entirely different. For instance, and this is important, Duncan could imagine objects and they would materialize elsewhere on base. Now that is, again, a lot of hullabaloo, but it is also very, very frighteningly close to the concept of the tulpa. So Duncan could go into an altered state of consciousness and could imagine objects that would materialize elsewhere on the base. Nichols describes that when Duncan went to these altered form of consciousness, he was like, it was like doing experiments much like we see Eleven doing. Nichols also claimed that Duncan could manipulate time and space and open dimensional portals. Now, Eleven, in Stranger Things, is supposedly the 11th child to be tested, the 11th test subject at Hawkins' lab. We can therefore deduce that there were at least 10 other children involved in the experiment, maybe more. And this exact thing happened in Montauk, according to Nichols. Quote, there was one kid at Montauk who would go out and get other kids and bring them to the project. He was like a tractor beam. He lived in Montauk and would circulate around very effectively. Some kids returned home. Some never did. The kids chosen were between 10 and 16, or maybe 18 at the oldest and 9 at the youngest. Most were just about to reach puberty or had just finished reaching puberty. We know a lot of people were shoved somewhere into the future, maybe 200 to 300 years ahead. Estimates range from 3,000 to 10,000 people that were eventually abandoned. We have no idea for what purpose. Strange, yes. Untrue, probably. But in some way connected to occultism and the powers of darkness? Possibly. One of the strangest stories that come out of the whole thing Ryan writes about is an interdimensional monster. That's right. An interdimensional monster. Perhaps the creepiest part of Nichols' account is that of the, quote, beast. Finally, in 1983, when everything came to full circle and the Eldridge arrived, the crew decided to pull the plug on everything. In that moment, Duncan conjured an otherworldly creature. Quote, the contingency program was activated by someone approaching Duncan while he was in the chair and simply whispering, the time is now. At this moment, he let loose a monster from his subconscious, and the transmitter actually portrayed 
a hairy monster. It was a big, hairy, hungry monster. Now that is fascinating to me. Because big and hairy, does that sound like something that has been seen for thousands of years in the blurry corners of the spectator's eyes, in woods, in the darkest of night? Does that sound like something like werewolves, Sasquatch, Yeti? Is it possible that big, hairy beasts being reported of as biological entities are, in fact, projections of some supernatural sort, tulpas of some kind? So, Duncan projects this big, hairy beast that shows up somewhere on base. It would eat anything it could. It smashed everything inside. Several different people saw it, but most everyone described the beast as being large and hairy, roughly around 9 to 10 feet high. No one was in any frame of mind to try to actually calmly and collectively analyze what was going on. Before and after, it was a strange wave of terror and confusion. According to Nichols, there was really only one way to defeat the monster. They had to destroy all of the Montauk chair equipment. The chair was actually the gateway, and Duncan was actually the median through which this tulpa had been brought into existence. Once everything was shut down, the tulpa, the big hairy beast, disappeared into thin air. It's pretty wild when you look at the connections, Ryan writes. Duncan basically created the monster in the Montauk Project, and Eleven is the one who unleashes the Demogorgon onto our reality in the tiny town of Hawkins and Stranger Things. It's hard to ignore, the writer states, the parallels between that of the conspiracy world and that of Stranger Things. Now, that is the case of the art world following reality. And I think the truth of the matter is the dirty little secret that is behind all of the scenes that are going on is that there is far more an intrusion into the spirit world than we are led to believe. While every day we see these guys like Bill Nye, the science guy, and Richard Hawkins and Bill Moore keep everyone busy, I believe that there is and has been an ongoing experiment and an attempt to open up doorways. From Genesis 6 to the Tower of Babel, to Machu Picchu, to the pyramid, to where we are right now, whatever you want to call it, CERN, whatever you want to call it. I think that there is a connection between between the darkest corners of the three realities, military government, bankers, possibly the entertainment industry at its most highest and darkest regions, doorways intentionally trying to be open into another world. So as you watch Stranger Things, and I highly, highly recommend that you watch Stranger Things. As you watch Stranger Things, you have to ask yourself, entertainment, yes. Hyperbole, yes. Conspiracy theory for the sake of making a buck, absolutely. But is there beneath it all some kernel of truth? Is there another dimension? Are there monsters in that other dimension? Is there a closeness and nearness, though unseen, of that other dimension? Stranger Things? Stranger Things has nothing on what we as Bible believers know. Stranger Things is a TV show that's turned on and off. The truth of the matter is, if we're Christians, we live Stranger Things. It's just a little bit of food for thought.